0: Friends, and welcome to the Paranatural Podcast. My name is Ben. And I'm Helen Keller. <laughs> <laughs> He's Jake, and we are so glad to have you with us tonight as we venture into the subarctic Canadian wilderness and explore the legends of Nahani Valley, a place better known as the Valley of the Headless Men. Jacob, how you doing tonight, buddy? Good. Good. How are you? I'm doing wonderfully. Well, good. Just fucking wonderfully. Now, who's wonderfully? (laughs) Shh, don't tell. Weird name. Isn't it? So. So. Headless men, you say. Headless men, I say. And we'll get there, and we should probably get there with some sort of quickness, because this, this might turn out to be a long one. So, a couple of things before we get to it.
1: I'm used to long ones.
0: <laughs> Heard that about you. Yeah. <laughs> First, if you enjoy the show, don't forget to share the show with a friend, or two, or ten. Mm-hmm. Or fifty. And if you are an Apple user, leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We get to 50 of those, y'all get a live chat. Uh, Do it. Second, my source for this episode is the book Legends of the Dahani Valley by Hammerson Peters. And I gotta tell y'all, this book is fucking impressive. Hammerson? Hammerson Peters. That is the man's what an name.
1: Awesome name. I know, right? I bet his parents let him stay up till like ten thirty.
0: When he was three. Yeah. Now, the book covers absolutely everything from all of its various angles. And I've said it before, but never meant it as much as I do right now. There is more to this topic than I can possibly cover on this podcast. So, like always, we're going to give you the highlights. And if you want more, the book is awesome and available on Kindle. So. Cool. All right, Jacob, shall we cease our overlong lingering in the preamble and instead fill our hearts with valor and courage and sally forth into the meat and taters of the quest laid out before us? <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's do this shit. I like that. That is cute. So Nahani Valley is located in Canada's Northwest Territory. So, ah. up by the Yukon and Alaska and the Klondike and all those other well-known places that are really cold, really harsh, and not very peoply. Partially due to the legends and stories that we're going to talk about tonight, the Nahani Valley became a national park reserve in 1972. At its inception, the park was relatively small, but has since been expanded to cover an area of about 30,050 square killer goose meters, if you use maple measures or 11,600 square miles in Freedom Units. There are a bunch of legends about the Nahanni Valley area. Like all the best legends, they begin and intertwine with the stories told by the native inhabitants of the area. In this case, those inhabitants are comprised of roughly 21 tribes who speak very similar languages and share ancient bloodlines. As a collective, they call themselves Diné. Generally speaking... The Dené lived among the rivers in the lowlands near Nahani Valley. They avoided the area of the valley proper and tell many tales as to why. Along with stories of evil spirits whose shrieks could be heard echoing through the canyons and tales of cave-dwelling people eating hairy giants. Put a pin in that one. The Dené also speak of a nomadic and warlike tribe called the Naha, who in ancient times lived in the area. Naha? Naha.
1: It's kind of like a, a Amanda show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no idea what you're talking about, but
1: hopefully, someone on on our listener group does. They'll get a chuckle
0: out of that. According to Dene tradition, the Naha would frequently come out of the mountains to raid and pillage Dene settlements. After a number of these attacks, a group of Dene warriors decided that they had had enough and headed into Nahani country to exact some revenge on the Naha. After some time, they came upon a scattering of Naha tepees and attacked. Weapons in hand and the element of surprise on their side, the Dene warriors rushed boldly into the Naha camp, only to discover that their enemies were nowhere to be found. The camp was completely empty, and it looked as if the residents had vanished into thin air. The stories of evil spirits and cannibal giants came swiftly to mind, and the Danae warriors fired up their Lamberfittis and got gone. Oh, that's clever. They returned to their home to tell the story, and the Naha were never seen again. Lamberfittis. <laughs> <It's funny. laughs> the Naha we were not the only people to disappear in the Nahanni Valley area. Not by a long shot. The Diné speak of many hunters who went into the area and never returned, and historical record speaks of the same thing occurring to white folks once they moved into the area. The Nahanni Valley area has its fair share of people who, like the Naha, have gotten missing 411 and whose disappearances are considered strange by some people. By some people, I do not mean me. I say that because we are talking about a place that is about as rugged, remote, and wild as a place can get. This isn't a local park with a well-kept path they call a nature trail. This is a place with mountains and canyons and whitewater rivers and potentially dangerous animals, and it is so remote that the only practical way to get there is by float plane or helicopter
1: not Lamborghini.
0: <laughs> to uh, to seriously and grossly misquote a movie one does not simply walk into nahani valley <laughs> yeah you've never seen lord of the rings anyway i have oh <laughs> then that was funny dick <laughs> in places Ooh. like the nahani valley misfortune is not uncommon and there are a lot of perfectly logical reasons that someone might go in and never come out In the stories that I read in the book, the only thing that made the disappearances strange was the kind of people who disappeared. With only a couple of exceptions, these were stories about experienced woodsmen who went off alone and were never seen or heard from again. Granted, these are the people who should be able to go off alone into the wilderness and make it back just fine. But that's kind of not enough for me. The most experienced people can make a mistake... And bad luck doesn't care about knowledge and skill. That being said, I'm not going to cover any of the disappearance stuff. I just wanted to bring it up so that anyone who is interested is aware that it exists. So if you're into missing 411 David polite as shit, there's something going on here. Yeah. <laughs> now... Something that definitely ticks my well-that's-fucking-weird box is the people who don't come back and are later found. Or in some cases, mostly found. Frank and Willie McLeod headed into Nahanni Valley in 1904 in search of gold. Unlike a lot of people, though, they actually found it and returned home much wealthier men. Neat. However, it wasn't enough to satisfy the two brothers and in 1905, they headed back for more. This time, they didn't come back, and for the next three years, their fate remained a mystery. In 1908, Charlie McLeod headed into Nahani Valley with a small party of searchers to see if he could learn what had become of his missing older brothers. The only clue they had to go on was that a year prior, in 1907, a canoe of similar make to the one Frank and Willie had used had been found abandoned and floating among a pile of driftwood. That's not a lot of clue to go on. <laughs> not really, no. Lots of canoes well, exist. <laughs> it's true. I've actually seen one or two in my life. From the spot where the canoe was found, the men headed deeper into the wilderness. Eventually, by skill, luck, or fate, they found out what had what they had come looking for. I can't read. It's okay,
1: you don't need to in a podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) On either side of a long dead fire, beneath rotting woolen blankets and atop beds of spruce boughs, lay a pair of adult male human skeletons. Are they okay? (laughs) Uh, I mean, as okay as skeletons can be. All right, that's all I needed to hear. (laughs) One of them lay on its back, still rolled neat and cozy in its blankets.
1: Thank goodness.
0: The other lay sprawled out on its chest and stomach. Its blankets were wrapped around it haphazardly, and one bony hand was stretched out, reaching for a rusted rifle that was still leaning against the trunk of a nearby spruce tree. Yes. Okay,
1: so, so far the weirdest thing about this story... Who the fuck lays on their tummy? Nobody likes sleeping on their tummy. It's weird.
0: He, he, Spider her back all day. He was sprawled out. He had tried to get up and get his rifle, and something done cocked him from behind or something. This sounds like old age to me. <laughs> <laughs> now, as grisly of a discovery as this already was, it was made all the worse... By the fact that neither of the skeletons was in possession of its head, his head fell off <laughs> so you mean to tell
1: me these skeletons weren't alive? No no, 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 they were they were quite deceased, holy shit yes they they were they were quite deceased. didn't know this was going to be a Disney love story.
0: I know right <laughs> <laughs> by scraps of clothing. Charlie identified the bodies as those of his missing brothers. So, now we know what happened to uh, Frank and Willie. Mm-hmm. And there is, like, a ton more story that follows this particular, like, chain of events. They include Charlie going on a manhunt. And the legend of the Lost McLeod gold mine starting to circulate. It's, um, it's really interesting stuff, but not really Paranatural podcast stuff, so... Mm-hmm.
1: We don't do that shit.
0: To wrap up this story, this was the point when the Nahanni Valley started being known by its much more metal name, the Valley of the Headless Men. Did you just say much more metal? Yes. That's awesome. (laughs) It's a good band name. (laughs) And that is a name that the Nahanni Valley continued to earn. In 1909, a prospector named Martin Jorgensen went into the Nahanni Valley to search for the McLeod brothers' lost gold. By all accounts, he was a big, healthy, well-liked, and well-respected fellow, as well as an extremely competent woodsman and prospector. It's the nicest way I've ever heard anyone call someone fat. (laughs) 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 There is little else that accounts of Martin Jorgensen agree on. From here, the details change depending on which version you are reading, and things get a bit muddy because of it. Suffice to say that Jorgensen continued to search for the lost gold, and as far as anyone can tell, never found it. In the fall of 1914, someone, the who depends on which version of the story you're reading, found Jorgensen's main cabin to have been reduced to a pile of ashes. Nearby the burnt-down cabin were the remains of the prospector. In some versions, he was found with his guns fired empty. In others, they were loaded and cocked. And in another, they were found with the barrels twisted around pretzel style. In nearly all versions, he was found without his head. Another story is that of a veritable giant of a man known only as Yukon Fisher. Fisher had gotten into an argument with the bartender of a saloon in the Yukon, an argument that Fisher ended by hitting the barkeep over the head with a glass bottle. According to witnesses, there was a great deal of blood from the incident, enough that Fisher thought he had killed the fellow. (laughs) Thinking that he was now wanted for murder, Yukon Fisher took off into the bush and spent years living like an outlaw in the wilderness of the Northern Territories. Out of fear, he survived in almost total isolation, and actively avoided any human contact. The exception to this was the rare occasion when the bearded, fur-clad giant would make a visit to one of the remote northern trading posts. There, he would use coarse alluvial gold to buy a supply of tea, salt, matches, and ammo, and then head back into the wilds. Other than those rare appearances, there was almost no sign of Yukon Fisher. Every now and then, a couple of trappers or some tribesmen would come across the abandoned remains of one of Fisher's unique camps. At one point, a native man who worked as a messenger tracked Fisher down and told him that he was not a wanted man, that the bartender was alive and well and all charges had been dropped. Yukon Fisher refused to believe the man, and remained a recluse for the rest of his life. Atta boy. <laughs> In 1928, Charlie McLeod, the same one from earlier, was leading an expedition down the Flat River. They were somewhere on Bennett Creek when they stumbled upon the headless skeleton of a giant white man. Next to the body was a 4440 40 carbine rifle with a badly bent barrel. Okay,
1: okay. Okay. Yes. Okay. They found the skeleton mm-hmm. of a giant
0: white man. Mm-hmm. How do they? How do they know it was a white guy? Yeah. Not a clue. Okay. <laughs> Don't have much experience with skeletons or how you could tell the race of one.
1: Ah, you see, you see, you see the finger bone. That's that's a white finger bone. I
0: mean, like he, the skeleton might have had clothes and stuff on him that like. Natives went the war? I don't know. And he was big as fuck. How big as fuck? Like, I, it doesn't say how big, but they called him a giant. Like, a veritable giant of a man. I've been called a giant. Like, Native Americans in that area are not real big. They're kind of short. So he's probably six foot something. Most likely, yeah. A little fella. <laughs> anyway... Weathered axe cuttings in the area indicated that the man had died some 15 years prior, around 1913. It's a good year. Although there was little real evidence to support the theory, everyone pretty much agreed that the remains belonged to Yukon Fisher. So Yukon, done. Got his head whacked off. And not in a good way. Okay,
1: I was going to say something <laughs> like that.
0: <laughs> there were others found in the same way. But sans coconut is not the only strange way that unalived individuals have been found in the Nahani Valley. <laughs> Two things. Yes.
1: <laughs> what was the coconut thing?
0: Sans coconut. Sans coconut. I like that. That's clever. <laughs> unalived? Yes, unalived. Come on now. They're unalive. They're, They're also dead. Two less syllables. Dead. Well, yes, it, that's that's... You could put it that way if you're a troglodyte. Dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> Two less syllables. <clears throat> I told you I was entertaining myself while writing this. In January of 1922, a trapper named Joe O'Brien left his cabin to check some traps. He told his trapping partner he would be back in eight to ten days, but yeah, he, he wasn't. Hmm. About a month after he had gone missing, O'Brien's frozen corpse was found on a rocky shelf at the end of his trap line. What makes this strange is that O'Brien's body was found crouched over a pile of tinder with a box of matches clutched in his frozen hand. He didn't use them right. But how do you freeze to death while you're lighting a fire? Well, obviously you're not lighting the fire right. I... (laughs) (laughs) that really blows my mind dude like the guy is like moving trying to light a fire and just fucking flash freezes probably was cold don't make no damn sense Jacob (laughs) haven't you ever watched
1: Encino man no what Brendan Fraser
0: Pauly Shore I know who's in it and you've never seen it no I have not you can freeze so easily According to a Pauly Shore, that's what we're going with now for evidence, Pauly Shore movies. He's never steered me wrong. <laughs> okay. Sure thing, buddy. Now, there are other examples of people who were found dead in apparently mysterious circumstances, but I think it's time to roll on to something adjacent to this topic, but a little less dead people or at least less graphically dead people so let's move on to something that is a theorized cause of people in Nahani Valley getting vanished and unalived. <laughs> what I'm talking about are the cave dwelling, people eating, hairy giants that were mentioned earlier.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: you almost quoted a song there <laughs> going 50s.
1: People eater, one eye, one whore, flying purple people eater. <laughs>
0: I don't think they're purple. Oh, whatever.
1: Hairy, one eyed, one horned, <laughs> hairy, hairy headed people eaters. Oh, well, they are. Okay.
0: <laughs> These creatures are known by many names throughout the Northern Territories Mahoney, Tinjaui, and Kushtaka are just a few. The Dene of Nahani Valley call them the Nakani. No matter what they are called, their description is pretty much the same. They are said to be immensely powerful creatures that are humanoid, but much larger, with a fair number of stories saying they can be twice the size of a man. They have red eyes, long, muscular arms, and are covered from head to toe in long hair. And sometimes they stink. (laughs) <laughs> sounds exactly like a gray alien if i ever heard one sure does don't it you're full of shit i am i am this sounds like a big feats that's right y'all big feats has entered the chat <laughs> Sam <squanches. laughs> and like look if you really thought i was gonna get through an episode about weirdness in the canadian <laughs> wilderness and not mention fucking sasquatch then you are either new here or you have not been paying attention my friend <laughs> You don't know that. Now, as you just heard, the Nakani of Nahani Valley... Wow, that's hard to say. The (laughs) Nakani of Nahani Valley... Nakani of Nahani Valley. Wow. who Are described physically as pretty much the same as our beloved Sam Squanch. Yay. The only physical difference that stood out to me was that the Nakani seemed to have a higher limit on maximum size potential. In descriptions of Sasquatch, a height of 9 feet is uncommon but not unheard of, and 10 feet is rare. In the case of the Nakani, 10 feet is described fairly often, and 12 feet tall isn't unheard of.
1: This is sounding exactly like the plot to uh, Harry and the Hendersons.
0: I absolutely love that movie. Like, no lie. I figured you would. Just absolutely. It was one of my favorites (laughs) as a kid. Probably half the reason I'm this obsessed with fucking Bigfoot. Story about your kid's first steps involved, Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> now, the real difference between the Sasquatch and the Nakani is found in their behavior. Where Sasquatch is said to be a shy and elusive creature, the Nakani tend to be a bit more aggressive. No, that's not the right way to put it. Um, Homicidal and kidnappy. That's the way to describe it. (laughs) So, (laughs) According to legend, the Nakani had a few favorite methods of being homicidal and kidnappy. The first method is probably the most straightforward. If it came across campers while out prowling at night, it would dispatch them as quickly and quietly as possible. Now, there are probably a lot of ways that such a thing could be done, But the one I could think of that would be really effective for a 10-foot-tall, unbelievably strong creature would be to just grab the intended victim's head and treat it like a bottle cap. Just right off. (laughs) Another method used by the Nakani was to stalk traveling natives. They would use the brush as concealment, following along silently and awaiting the chance to grab their intended victim. Other times, the Nakani would be a bit more proactive, and instead of waiting for chance travelers, would instead go to the Dene's camp. Once there, they would employ a few different tactics depending on their goal. If they simply wanted some food, they would hide in the trees and wait until the middle of the night to slip in and steal fish. Or, if they had the opportunity, they would grab a lone hunter or unattended child to drag into the woods and devour. So they're cannibally, too. Yes, they are. They're, they're cannibally. And I mean... Well, is that cannibalism? I, I technically, no, they're not cannibalism because they're not eating their own kind. They're eating our kind. Dicks. But that's frowned upon in most human cultures, eating people, <laughs> no matter what you are. It's true. But I mean, really, you know, fish, hunter, kid, everything's good with ranch, right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, well, it's Canada,
0: more mm. like malt vinegar, right? <laughs> Everything's good with gravy. I don't know. <laughs> other times, the Nakani would be there for other nefarious purposes and would hide and wait for a young woman to stray a bit too far from camp. Just like the fish, these young women were snatched up and drug out of camp. Unlike the fish, they were not simply devoured in the nearby woods but were instead taken to the creature's lair for arguably worse purposes. I know I'm going to hell. (laughs) Sometimes, the Nakani would get tired of waiting and would try to draw out a victim. It would taunt the village by throwing rocks and sticks. On occasion, it would also whistle and make noises that sounded like human laughter. There are many stories of encounters with the Nakani that span the entirety of human habitation in Nahani Valley. Stories that I am not going to get into here. Reason being, with a couple of exceptions, they really aren't much. Just so and so saw one over here and one through rocks at us over there. They're really pretty common Bigfoot stories. And I would much rather talk about the stuff that is more unique. To Nahani Valley. However, before we we get back to that stuff, there are, like I said, at least a couple of exceptions in the book that I think are very much worth talking about in full. One is about a Dine girl who escapes kidnap, and the other has some parts that are very Ape Canyon reminiscent. If that interests you, I will be diving into those over on our Patreon. So if you want to hear those stories, enjoy the other extra content we have over there, help support the show, and earn even more of our undying affection, head on over to patreon.com slash Podcast and become a Patreon subscriber. And even get a shout out. Yeah, you will. You certainly fucking will. And I'll probably say I love you. A bunch of times. Yeah, but like specifically (laughs) the first time you join, I will say your name and... The love you words. Yes, indeed. <sighs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's go to the topic of Nahani Valley wildlife. For the most part, there is nothing unusual about the wildlife in the area. It is exactly what you would expect to see in that particular geographical location and that kind of terrain, for the most part. There are stories, though that speak of things that are outside the norm, stories that run the gamut of the unusual. To start with, there are plenty of stories of people encountering normal, completely expected animals that are just way bigger than they have any right to be. For instance, nearly every woodsman who speaks of encountering wolves in Nahani Valley comments on the incredible size that some of them manage to grow to. Are we on skull Island right now could be okay similarly, many eyewitnesses have spoken of seeing colossal grizzly bears that are described as being around twelve feet tall. Ooh. for the record, the largest brown bear, which is what the grizzly is related to, is the kodiak, and they come in at around ten max ten yeah, some big bear one of these nahani grizzlies was said to be, quote, the size of a two-year-old moose, end quote. It's quite big. And another that the witnesses named Slim Jim was described as being, quote, enormous as a boxcar, end quote. It's also quite large. <laughs> fucking huge. There are also said to be moose in the Nahanni Valley that are about twice the size... Of a regular fucking moose, it's a fucking garden moose, which, um, as big as a moose already is, I yeah, feel like twice, twice the, the size, size is just that's just bordering on disrespectful, right there. It's well, <laughs> like, a freaking dinosaur! Holy Christ! <laughs> <laughs> In the early seventies, an RCMP officer turned television host named Tommy Tompkins, another good name caught one of these ginormous animals on camera and showcased it on an episode of his show. He estimated that the antlers of the enormous bull were around 12 feet from end to end. Normal is about six. Holy! I know! There's a lot of meat, though. I mean, that's real. Imagine freaking caribou's there. You couldn't mount it on your freaking wall though. It just takes some bitch down. Just No, no. You'd have to have like a mount rushmore for that thing. Yeah. <laughs> you would have to build it its own goddamn house. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Two story. Now this next story of a too big animal is the story of John and Joanne Moore. The couple spent a year in Nahani Valley in the late 70s and saw lots and lots. ...of regular-sized animals. One day... ...they saw a smallish black bear. It was far enough away... ...that they were in no danger from it... ...but close enough to watch it. So watch it they did. But soon... ...they realized that what they were looking at... ...was not a black bear. It was, in fact... ...an overgrown porcupine... ...the size... ...of a black bear... (laughs) <laughs> Jake call Albert Osman. he's gonna be real excited a lot of porky stew you could make a shit ton of porky stew out of a blackberry size fucking shit. porky <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine the quills on that motherfucker uh, arrows <laughs> like Jesus Christ <laughs> that is
1: one that I wouldn't fuck with no shit
0: goodness
1: yeah. Thing just like comes to cuddle you and cuddles you to death.
0: <laughs> Don't spoon that. You're gonna have puncture wounds all over. thing would walk by and just accidentally skewer your whole ass. Like could you imagine like if it got loose in
1: a town, everyone would have to pay to repaint their cars?
0: <laughs> Goodness, that is a that is a fucking porky. I know, right? Now if absolute unit moose and porkies with the audacity to be bear sized aren't enough for you then don't fret. Nahani Valley has more to offer. What is that thing you say? Harry Potter and the Harry Potter and the audacity of that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. According to legend, somewhere in that expanse of wilderness lies a hidden veil that is the home of a relict population of woolly mammoth. Oh, gosh. Stories of still-living mammoth had been told by the Dene since the dawn of time. Those stories were added to in the late 19th and early 20th centuries by frontiersmen as they returned from the northern wilderness. Some of these stories were printed in newspapers and magazines and put into books. Unfortunately, they were not put into this book, so moving on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just had to mention the Harry
0: Belafontes. Well, yeah. That's fucking fascinating. Still living wooly mammoths. Another creature that is spoken of in Nahani Valley is the Wahila. That's a gonad, ain't it? <laughs> no. Oh. For the record, Wahila is not the Dene word for the creature. It is, in fact, the name of a mysterious wolf-like creature that was once said to haunt the forest of northern Michigan. It's a fucking dire wolf. <laughs> that name was taken for the creature by a man who will certainly appear in future episodes of this podcast, a famed cryptozoologist Ivan T. Sanderson. He used the name in a 1974 article that he wrote about the Nahanni Valley creature and its duck. The best accounts of the Wahila are the same ones that Sanderson wrote about the accounts of Frank Graves, a Philadelphia mechanic turned cryptozoologist. Graves, with the support and guidance of Sanderson, traveled to Nahanni Valley for the first time in 1965. After some time gaining the trust and friendship of the Dene, they began to tell him stories and take him out into the wilderness to explore and hunt. Graves and a Dene friend were out hunting and separated. After a while, Graves heard a noise and saw some brush moving. He assumed it was his friend's dog coming back and didn't even bother to raise his 12-gauge shotgun. In a letter to Sanderson, Graves wrote of the encounter, quote, But then an enormous white thing that I at first thought must be a polar bear just sort of wandered out of the trees. It wasn't a bear. It looked more like a gigantic dog. It stood straight up on rather long legs, more like a dog or a wolf. I had seen plenty of wolves, and some of them are enormous. Some of them are enormous enough up there. But this thing was 20 times the size of any wolf I had ever heard of by a sort of reflex action. I fired at it and it was less than 20 paces away and only partly screened by little bushes. I hit it with two barrels of ball shot. It didn't even jump, but turned away from me and just walked back into the forest. I reloaded and fired again. And I know I hit it in the rear, but it just kept on walking. Shortly afterwards, my Indian friend bobbed up asking what I had got. I didn't know what to say for a bit, but when I told him, we did another of our famous disappearing acts, and this time, we loaded the boats and pushed off upriver real fast. It's a fucking white dog, man. It's fucking something. (laughs) You shoot it with a 12-gauge and it don't flinch... Yeah, I, I'd, I'd... Ball shots like a slug. I'd get the fuck out of there, too.
1: <laughs> Big ol' hunk of metal hitting you.
0: Yeah, bunch yeah. Punch him. <laughs> now, either in a different letter or a face-to-face interview, Graves told Sanderson that the creature was about three and a half feet tall at the shoulder, had a very wide head, and was covered in shaggy white fur. It was also revealed that Graves' Diné companion explained that the creature was not at all a wolf, but something else entirely. He also said that they were quite rare and tended to live further up north. Another letter sent to Sanderson by someone whose signature could not be deciphered speaks of the Wahila. According to the letter writer, the information he gave to Sanderson came from a Diné man who is referred to as Gugo. Gugo said that the Wahila could be as large as 11 feet long, with 4 extra feet of tail, and could be as tall as shoulder height. Now that's fucking big. He also said that the Dene lived in terror of the creature due to their size, ferocity, and the fact that they were almost invincible with only one known enemy. The enemy according to Google, is a lion. A lion. A lion. Really? <laughs> a lion. <laughs> Thing, put
1: pit that fucking porcupine up against it, it'll do something. <laughs> That's real.
0: <laughs> 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 fucking spike it right through its wide head. Eight times? <laughs> On accident. Now, the lion in question is not a mountain lion, which would be too easy. And it's not an African lion either, because that would just be silly. <laughs> <laughs> this is a special Nahani lion. This lion is, of course, an absolute unit of an animal that Gogo described as being at least as big as the Wahila and afraid of nothing. It is very hairy and has a large woolly mane that covers the majority of its body. It is a powerful and fierce creature that kills whatever the fuck it is in the mood to kill. This includes bears, moose, and mammoths. All right, this last one is, it's kind of a short one, but in my opinion, the strangest and most mind-blowing one of all, if it is true. That being the case, I am just going to read this from the book verbatim. In many of his articles on the Nahanni Valley, Philip Godsell related a story told to him by Frank Beaton, who served as the chief factor of Fort Fort St. John, B.C. Beaton had heard the story from a scientific party who had heard it from one of their Indian guides, a Cree named Chikina, who had, in turn, heard the tale from his father. A great wanderer, Chikina's father once traveled to Upper Liard River country, where he fell in with a, quote, primitive tribe armed with bone-shod javelins and clubs made from the jawbones of the moose. Around their fires, these Stone Age people had told of a medicine valley to the north, inhabited by monsters of fearful size and ferocity. One of the Cree's new DNA acquaintances produced a scrap of buckskin from his medicine bag, on which had been burned the image of one of these monsters. The Cree managed to acquire this charm and treasured it for years. He eventually passed the artifact down to his son, Chikina, who showed it to the scientific party he was tasked with guiding. The scientist told an incredulous Beaton that the figure depicted on the buckskin scrap was a dinosaur drawn in flawless anatomical detail. Jacob, there's dinosaurs in the Nahani Valley. <laughs> fucking Skull Island. I almost choked when you said that. I was like, fuck. <laughs> no spoilers, motherfucker. I should have fucking knew it. Oh, man. Yep. Skull Island. We got dinosaurs, giant pork pine. Goodness. King Kong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh,
1: boy. Giant Anything, buddy. things, lions. Lions. Lions, tigers, bears. Oh, oh my, my.
0: <laughs>
1: goodness.
0: Fucking wild bit of story there, isn't
1: it? But has anyone seen the
0: dinosaurs? Like that was the only account of it in the book. The only one. Mm hmm. No, like I but like I said, if that's true, to me that is the most mind I can wrap my head around. Pretty much everything else said, that one is. If that's true, that's fucking mind blowing. Well,
1: so they say, back in like the Paleolithic area era, era mm. the uh, amount of oxygen back then compared to like now with all the nitrogen and whatever and the atmosphere, that's why animals are getting smaller. But like back then they said animals were huge due to the, uh, uh,
0: what only kind of applies to insects that their size is based on the oxygen content in the atmosphere. Are you sure? Yeah. Because insects breathe through their entire exoskeleton instead of just through, like, a little pair of nostrils like we do. So we got fucking gerbil-sized crickets? Yeah, and bigger. There were, like, dragonflies the size of fucking eagles and shit at one time because of the oxygen levels in the atmosphere. There were fucking 10-foot-long goddamn centipedes running around. Skull Island. Yeah, Skull Island. (laughs) And
1: people live in this area.
0: Not sort of, kind of.
1: Well, there's tribes that live there. They live around there. But they don't like live.
0: They travel any... through there if they have to.
1: If they have to. That's, Mostly that's they if. avoid it. I mean, I would too if I had a freaking moose the size of a house. I mean, facts. Like, the thing won't even try to kill you. It'll just accidentally step on you and kill you.
0: You either avoid that thing, hunt that thing, or ride that thing. There are no other options. (laughs) You
1: kill that thing, you're going to have food for six years. Fuck yeah, you are. kill a porcupine, you're going to have
0: food for two years. (laughs) (laughs) Now, one that I didn't mention, but fuck it, we're here. We got a second. And I'm going to bring it up for a reason. The, uh, Denae also talk about, like, giant beavers that live in the area. Like, six foot long beavers. And... In prehistoric times, around the same time as the woolly mammoth, actually, beavers that big did exist. I'm not sure if giant porcupines ever existed, but giant beavers fucking did. Yeah, ain't no sleeping
1: there, freaking slapping their tails and shit. Can you imagine how quick they'll take out a treat? Two bites. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Imagine the freaking chompers on them. They got the ivory tusks. Fucking A right they
0: do. Holy cow! Which speaking of ivory tusks, the uh, the mammoth thing, you ask if there was any stories or anything. There's not, not in this book. But there was there there is the story of some evidence in 1889. That's a good year. The guy who was writing the book where a lot of these stories got recorded was brought tusks by some Danae hunters. And that, on its own, was not unusual. In that area, the mammoths, like, they used to live there, and they died there. And sometimes they get uncovered, like when the permafrost melts or, you know, as erosion happens and shit. So people up there will collect tusks, and they could bring them and sell them or decorate their house with them or whatever. But what was unusual was that the tusks that these guys brought him still had blood on them.
1: Mm. That that doesn't last hundreds of thousands of years.
0: And when he asked them where he got the or where they got them from, they said that they had come across a herd of about fifty mammoths and had hunted one. I actually recently,
1: not recently, like a year or two ago. I read a story that they actually dug up the most preserved mammoth mm-hmm. up
0: in the Yukon, I believe. Not did they ever actually get it out? I know oh, they yeah. were working on it and they were taking their sweet ass time with it because they yeah, didn't want to hurt it at all. They got it out and they're like, like they're
1: saying it has enough DNA still left in it to where they. Will be able to bring back the woolly mammoth, and like now there's commercials saying while the woolly mammoth is still extinct, Mm -hmm. like they're gonna bring this back, Jurassic mammoth. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, like alas, like cold parts of the of the world, I feel are the least explored, other than like the ocean.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure.
1: So something like this, I feel like it could happen because mammoths were hunted to extinction and also the Ice Age.
0: Mm -hmm. But if they're going to exist
1: anywhere... It's going to be there. A place like that would be home for them. The thing that doesn't make sense to me is the dinosaurs. No,
0: that does not make any sense, which is why it's
1: like... (laughs) Yeah, because, like... The terrain and stuff that they lived in, it was a hundred degrees and like everything was overgrown, so they would always have food. And
0: so, yes, and no, no, and yes, actually, they have actually now come across evidence that dinosaurs lived in birds, lived in climates that were significantly colder than we would have previously thought. Really, yes, much like birds live in cold climates. They think some dinosaurs may not have been cold-blooded. So what? We got some mammal dinos? Birds
1: aren't cold-blooded either. Sure they are. No, they're not. Sure they are. they're not. Sure they are. (laughs) You're fine. Put them in a refrigerator, you're fine. You're cold-blooded. I'm (laughs) hot-blooded. Check Check it it and see. In fact, I have a fever of 103. (laughs) You
0: knew exactly where I was going with that. Sure did, buddy. Sure did. Rocker,
1: what can I say?
0: All right. Any further thoughts on the Nahani Valley? All right.
1: So we got giant werewolves. Yep. We got bear-sized porcupines. Yep.
0: We got lions. Sure did. That
1: are the size of werewolves.
0: Oh, again, the lion thing? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I was also going to tie that into the beaver thing and the mammoth thing. There were, at one point, on this continent in that area during the Pleistocene, lions in, uh, like I said, that area. Like full mane? The American lion. I don't know if it had a full mane, but it was actually bigger than the present-day African African lion.
1: I remember reading that somewhere. I just didn't think it had a mane. I thought it looked like a a great big... Stripeless tiger.
0: I don't actually know if it had a mane or not.
1: Tigers are bigger than lions, right?
0: Yes, question mark? I think so.
1: <laughs> all right, so we got that. Got all that stuff. Got rolling mammoths. Yep. Got fucking dinosaurs. Yep. Got Bigfoots. Yes. Giant Bigfoots. Yes, extra large Bigfoots. That eat people and tear their heads off, maybe. Question mark. Yes. Now is everything giant?
0: No, there's regular size stuff there too.
1: Just predators are giant and moose. And porcupine.
0: And oh yeah. <laughs> they can be predators. They don't even
1: mean to. But you see how many dogs they fuck up? And beavers. And beavers. And giant beavers, yeah. Goodness. Could you imagine the slap sound with that tail? <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> Sound like a freaking firework. Be like dropping a lifeboat off the size of a ship. So, is it like just like a land that time forgot about or what? Maybe. Huh. I don't know. I guess I hate the cold, but like once our Patreon people uh, get to it and send us to England, then we can go.
0: We can go hop a plane and head to Nahani. Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, I know it's yeah, it's I mean, crazy stuff but it's stuff that like honestly you can you can look at and go you know maybe <laughs> like
1: see there's no pictures of that of the dinosaur and the buckskin is there? Not to my knowledge, no. Want to see if it looks like a lizard? <laughs> See what it looks like. Uh I mean I have a million questions, but possible. I just want to know why most of the giant things there are predatory. Cause it, it sounds it sounds like like there could be truth behind it, but it also sounds like a scary story. Like Yeah, I
0: I, I get where you're coming from.
1: And this is where your 90-foot windigo comes from, huh? <laughs> nope. Further to the east on that one. Oh, my bad. This one would be 180 feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Good thing wendigos don't live there. Jesus Christ. Dogs up to shoulders on all fours. He is. I want to get a puppy from there. Yeah, right. (laughs) Put a mastiff in there. You're going to have you're going to have a freaking
0: elephant dog. Get one of those puppies. Name it Kitty. (laughs) 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 Mr. Spooples. (laughs) Yeah. Meanwhile,
1: you got people naming Chihuahuas Tank. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yeah, I don't have any more questions.
0: Why are the people so small? Maybe they're not eating what the bears are eating, or the moose, or that porcupine was eating.
1: At least get to be six, seven foot tall so you have a chance at doing something against freaking
0: two story tall mooses. Fucking Porkyzilla and (laughs) Porkyzilla. That's exactly what it is. Goddamn Moosasaurus and fucking.
1: Try moose tops. <laughs> <laughs> Try
0: moose <Musa> tops.
1: <laughs> Goodness. All right. Yeah, I have no questions that
0: will be answered. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's any answers. Goodness, just stories. And I I skipped quite a bunch in this fucking book. So you didn't like, actually read the book? Oh no, no. I mean, I read the book. I didn't okay. talk about a lot of the mysteries and legends in the book. All right. I guess I'll ask you off because they are the fucking cast. There was just so much.
1: I'm going to ask you. Uh, you're good. You're good. I'm going to ask you off the podcast.
0: All right, then. All right, then. If you enjoy the show, share the show with a friend. If you do, not only do you help us spread fun and fuckery to the world, but you get the karma bonus of bringing joy to the lives of others. As always, thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate each and every one of you coming and spending just a little bit of time with the two of us. Until next time, we love you. Good night. Peace
1: out. Oh, good night. Love you.